Good evening and welcome to church. Good to be with you all this evening. My name's Lachlan. If we haven't met before, I'd love to get to know you after the service, over supper and perhaps over dinner as well. Uh, as much as I do want to get to know you, though, I want us to start tonight by recognising the reality, and this isn't true for you if you're new and newish, I do want to get to know you. But I'm sure we've all reached that point in our relationships where we just wonder, why bother with other people? Uh, we've all hit that point, haven't we? Uh, you know that I'm famous for having stood up here once and saying that I hate people. Not you specifically, just in general, the reality of people. They take time, they take effort. Life is so simple when you just have to worry about yourself. You have, to, you have control over what you do and when you do it and how much of things that you get. When you're with other people, you've got to start to cooperate and negotiate and listen. And I'm sure you've reached the point where you've wondered, you know, is it worth trusting someone again? My trust has just been broken so many times. Is it worth opening up and trying to explain how I feel again? Is it worth taking the time to listen to all the boring things that people have to say? But I want to put it to you tonight that as messy as relationships might be, they are a mess worth making. It's always going to be messy to relate to other people. We're all coming to experiences with different backgrounds, different pasts, different baggage. We're all sinners and invariably over time we will hurt one another. But there's something that keeps dragging us back to other people. We need them. We were created for relationships. So humanity, we're not just some accident parading around on this earth. We've been created with a purpose by God. When God created humanity, he created us as social beings. He made us people who need other people to get on in life. Now, I'm aware that there's a spectrum of introversion and extroversion. I'm not talking about that. Introverts, you need people as much as the extroverts do. See, our God himself is a relational being. We worship a God who is Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, existing together in an eternal bond of love. From time immaterial, God has existed in this bond, relating as one to another. And so our relational God, he created humanity with that capacity to relate, so that we might relate to him. But he also made us needful of human relationships, such that we feel this thing called loneliness. So relationships might be messy, but they're a mess that's worth making, because your life's going to be deeper and richer more fulfilling, more human when it's lived alongside others through the messiness, dealing with relational disappointments, growing in patience, forgiveness and love. So I've convinced you on the necessity of relationships. I trust that's something that we are really all on the same page as we come in tonight. What we want to do tonight as we turn back to Proverbs is find some wisdom for conducting these relationships. How do we go about it in the midst of the mess? In particular, we've got two types of relationships that we'll focus on tonight. Uh, on the one hand, friendship, and on the other hand, marriage. We'll talk a little bit about the awkward in between, between those two things, but most of the time we'll be on friendship and then marriage. My prayer tonight is that we'd all appreciate the goodness of friendship and the goodness of marriage, and so be intentional and faithful as friends and as spouses. I'm going to pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father, we praise you as the God who is all wise. You know so much more than us. You've created us. And you've got a plan for how we're to live out our lives in community with one another. So please tonight, make us wise. 
Give us your wisdom. Make us a people who are faithful friends, loyal spouses, intentional in the company that we keep. We ask this for your glory and for our joy. Amen. Now, before we get to God's wisdom on relationships, I want to continue with a bit of an intro into Proverbs. We started with Proverbs 1 last week. And you remember there, we saw that wisdom calls out. No one likes to be a fool and no one has to be a fool. That's what we saw from Proverbs 1. Wisdom's not hiding in a corner, hard to find. Wisdom's not under lock and key that you need some secret ritual to unlock. Wisdom's there in the streets, calling out, longing to be found. This week, Proverbs 2 encourages us to respond to wisdom's call, to hear wisdom calling out to us and to call back. So have your Bibles open there and have a look at Proverbs 2, verse 1. Proverbs 2, verse 1. My son, if you accept my commands and store up my commands within you, listening closely to wisdom and directing your heart to understanding... Furthermore, if you call out to insight and lift your voice to understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. You see the response called for in us. Call out to insight, lift your voice to understanding. It's like some weird game of Marco Polo. Wisdom's calling out over here, we're calling out over here, and as we call out together, God gives us his wisdom. The one who made the universe gives us insight into how to live within the world. That's a pretty good deal. In James 1, we get a promise that if we ask, God will give this. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and without criticizing, and it will be given to him. There's a promise to lay hold of. Pray regularly that God would make you wise. Don't be so proud as to think that you've made it in wisdom, that you're the wisest person that's ever lived. You're not. There's always more wisdom to learn. As you go on in life, keep calling out for wisdom. So let's have a look at God's wisdom on friendships. What does he have to tell us about being wise in relation to friendship? Again, as we turn to these Proverbs, like last week, you don't necessarily try to flip around in your Bible to find them all. They'll be up on the screen, jot down the references. Do go home and and check that they say what I'm saying they say. Don't take my word for it. Check the Scriptures. That's your authority, not me. And as you do that, reflect some more on what these Proverbs have to say. The first nugget of wisdom for us tonight is that the company we keep matters. Have a look at Proverbs 13, verse 20. The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 22, verse 24. Don't make friends with an angry man and don't be a companion of a hot-tempered man or you will learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. You see the common thread that runs between those two proverbs. You become like the people you spend time with. You spend time with fools, you'll become a fool. You spend time with angry people, you'll start getting angry in the way that they get angry at the things that they get angry at. You spend time with wise people, you will learn from their wisdom. This is why parents are concerned with the friends that their kids hang out with at school. You might have been on the receiving end of that from your parents, saying, who are you hanging out with, who are you going out with tonight? 
They care because they recognize the influence that your circle of friends has on you. Now, I'm sure you've seen that as you've gone on in life. That influence doesn't stop as you grow up. Just because you might develop some resistance to peer pressure, I hope you are developing some resistance to that, uh, you still get influenced by the people around you. You love what they love. Your opinions are shaped by their opinions. You become like the people you spend time with. And so God's wisdom tells us, be careful when you choose your friends. That might seem a strange thing to say, to say that you choose your friends. But you do. You choose who to invest into. You choose who to spend time with. You choose who to invite over for meals, whose invitations for meals to accept. You can choose your friends. So God's saying tonight, choose wisely. Well, what should you look for in choosing a good friend? The first two Proverbs have kind of highlighted for us that their character matters. Look for friends whose character you want to imitate. Look for friends whose character you respect and you want to grow to be like them. But there are four other things I want to highlight for us from the Proverbs tonight. Uh, Four things that we should be looking for in a good friend. They all start with the letter C. might make it easier for you to remember and to take notes. The first one is that good friends are close friends. Have a look at Proverbs 18, verse 24. Good friends are close friends. A man with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. Proverbs 27, verse 9. Oil and incense bring joy to the heart, and the sweetness of a friend is better than self-counsel. There's a difference, isn't there, between an acquaintance and a friend. You've got your acquaintances, people that you know something of, you know their name, you might know someone in their family, you can talk about superficial things with them, you might even have the occasional deep chat with them, but you're not regularly involved in their life. You don't know what makes them tick, you don't know their hopes and their dreams, their fears, their failures. I had a look on Facebook this morning, told me I have 1,429 friends. That's not true. They're not my friends. I have 1,429 passing acquaintances who have decided that they want to keep up with me on Facebook. They're not friends. And we need to be clear of the difference. Real friendship is close friendship. Closer even than the high bond of family ties. Friends that stick even closer than a brother. And when you have a friend like this that is that close, it brings a sweetness with it. Friendship, it's meant to be enjoyable. It's not all the time enjoyable. There will be times when you'll hurt one another. But on the whole, friendship brings with it a joy as you share life alongside other people. That's what friendship is, really. It's a side-by-side walk in life, together headed in a common direction. The word companion that we often use for friend, you'll find that in some of these proverbs. Companion comes from a word that really means to break bread with someone. Any French speakers amongst us will see that root there. Someone that you invite over for a meal. Because when you have a meal with someone, hopefully you're not just checking your phone. Play the phone Jenga where you put them all in a stack and whoever touches it first gets to pay for lunch. Don't touch your phone. When you have a meal with someone, you're talking to them. You're sharing life together. Uh, Ideally, it's happening inside your home where you're getting to see life lived out. A companion is someone that you share life with and there's that closeness there that is very sweet. We have an example of this in Jesus, don't we? Jesus 
did regularly hang out with crowds, and when he was in the crowds, he extended warm love to everyone that was there. But he still had his close circle of friends. The 12 disciples, add to them Lazarus and Mary and Martha, we hear them as close friends of Jesus. And then even within that wider circle, he had his tight inner circle. Peter, James and John, they were his core three. Now I think as you read through the Gospels, it's fair enough to say that Jesus had a bestie as well. John's Gospel talks about the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so there was this one disciple out of the 12 that Jesus particularly got on with and, and shared life with. Seems that was John himself. So Jesus sets an example of friendship that we can imitate. Yes, you're warm and friendly to all the the crowds around, but you can't just have acquaintances. You need close friends. Uh, I do want to say that when you come together as a church, you need to hear that call to engage with the wider crowd. Churches can become very clicky when people just come on a Sunday evening and chat to their close friends. Now set aside other time in the week to enjoy that closeness. Sunday night's the time when you've got the chance to be with everyone. So don't just stick to your close set of friends on a Sunday night. My general rule on a Sunday is that the first person I want to talk to is someone I haven't met before. Then after that, I'll talk to someone I might have met a few weeks ago. And then I'll go and talk to the people that I'm more familiar with. That would be a good rule to adopt as we love one another within the church. But friendship, good friends are close friends. Alongside that, good friends are constant friends. Proverbs 14, verse 20. A poor man is hated even by his neighbour, but there are many who love the rich. Now, this isn't encouraging you to go and get rich in life because then you'll have lots of friends. That would be to misread the proverb. Hey, Stephanie, welcome. Uh, if, you, if you read this proverb and go, okay, I need to make as much money as I can because then I'll have lots of friends, you're missing the point. This is a warning to the rich that though when you're rich, it might seem like you've got lots of friends, as soon as life turns the other way, uh, many of them are going to drop off. We all know the fair weather friends. We've seen it happen. They're there with you when life's on the up, but when things go south, they're just out of there like a flash. So I'm going to encourage you, don't be a friend like that. Don't only hang out with people when their life is good, but then avoid them when life goes bad. Instead, we get the positive in Proverbs 17, verse 17. Here's the friend to be like. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. See, good friends are constant friends. They're there for you in the good times and in the bad times. They'll laugh with you, and they'll cry with you. They'll clean up your vomit after you when you're sick. They'll make soup for you. They'll come to your birthday parties and your wedding, and they'll drive half an hour to pick you up at 3 a.m. in the morning when you've had an accident. Do you have friends like that? I mean, who would you call at 3 a.m. in the morning if you needed to? Are you a friend like that to others? Are there people who would feel comfortable to call you at 3 a.m. in the morning if they were in a bind and they needed some help? It's a good question to ask and to think about how good of a friend you are being. Good friends are close friends, constant friends. And thirdly, good friends are candid friends. We saw this last week as we looked at use of our words, but we see it again in this context of friendship. 
So a couple of Proverbs from chapter 27, verse 6 and 17 say, The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. So if you only want to hear yourself puffed up with flattery, then don't make friends. Just get some enemies and they'll love flattering you. But if you want to grow as a person, if you want your character to improve over time, because you know that you've got some character flaws that need to be ironed out, then get some friends who will tell you the truth, even if it wounds your ego for a time. We live in an era where modern pop psychology has told us Essentially, all we can say to our friends is things that encourage them, things that are really positive. Positive reinforcement is all that we can say. You're the best person ever. Don't listen to the negative things that are being said about you. It's not, none of it's true. You're just the best. You've got nothing wrong with you at all. As if that's what's going to help us be all that we can be. Because modern psychology has told us again, popular psychology, that you, know, you can be and do anything that you want. And so your friends are there to help you be and do anything that you want to be and do. But the reality is that sometimes people want to be and do stupid things. And they need friends to tell them that. They need friends to notice when they're in a negative track and to say, dude, wake up to yourself, come on. This is not going to end well for you. Friends are the ones who lovingly rebuke you and help you to see what you are blind to yourself. See, when iron sharpens iron, like in Proverbs uh, 17 there, no, 27 verse 17, uh, when you sharpen iron like that, it doesn't make a pleasant sound, does it? There's a scraping, there's a clashing. It's actually wearing away bits of the iron to make it sharp. That's how sharpening works. And so it is with our characters. We need friends who will cut into us, friendly, lovingly, but helping to refine us, to make us better humans, better fit for the task that we have in this world. Do you have friends that tell you the truth? Are you a friend that tells the truth? Well, finally, good friends are considerate friends. So Proverbs 25, verse 17. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, otherwise he'll get sick of you and hate you. (laughs) There's Proverbs being that good candid friend for us right there, telling us it like it is. Uh, you get it again in Proverbs 27, verse 14. If one blesses his neighbor with a loud voice early in the morning, he will be counted as a curse to him. <laughs> Friends spend time in one another's houses. Proverbs 25 there, there's a reality there that we have to keep living into in this modern world. Don't shut off your home as your own personal space that no one else can come into. Open up your house to others. But good friends are considerate of the time they spend in others' houses. doesn't mean that they don't go there at all, but different people can cope with different amounts of interaction. You've got some people who really do mean it when they say, just pop around whenever you like. Whenever you want, just come and knock on the door, and if we're home, we'll hang out with you. They're great friends to have, but not everyone is like that. Some people, with their life circumstances and with the way that they're wired as people, can't handle just someone knocking on their door at any random hour. So the good friend is the considerate friend who gets to know their friend, who knows how much they can handle or really how much they appreciate. And they know when it becomes too much. 
The good friend knows whether their friend is a morning person or an evening person. Who knows whether it's actually going to be welcomed with a, a cheery voice message in the morning or not. Not everyone is the same. And it actually takes time to consider your friends. That's why relationships are energy draining. They take time because you've got to think about people. You've got to remember things about people. You've got to be considerate. Who is this person? What makes this person feel loved? What ticks this person off? So there's our short list for good friends. They'll be close. They'll be constant, candid, and considerate. The company that you keep matters. We need good friends. We were made for relationships. What, what can you do if you've been hearing all of this and you feel a bit down? You're like, I don't know if I've got any friends like that. Or perhaps you're feeling, I don't think I've been a good friend myself. I want to say friendship doesn't happen by accident. It requires time and effort. There are some stages of life, and uni might be one of them for many of you at the moment, where friendship does seem easy. You, you turn up at uni and you're spending time with people all day. You, you're seeing them regularly. It just happens. But as life goes on, that won't just happen. You have to be intentional to maintain friendships. You have to be intentional to forge new friendships. We've got busy lives, whether we're single or married. We, we actually need to set aside regular time to be with friends. And the early stages of a friendship, if you're trying to forge a new friendship, those early stages will take more time than once the friendship is established. But it will always take time. So consider, is is there something you can lock into the calendar? In the midst of your busy schedule, actually lock in times to hang out with friends. Uh, Connect group, midweek connect group could be one of those places, one of those times that you do that. Connect groups are great for getting to know one another as you open up the Bible and pray together. Great source of time to hang out with friends. It shouldn't be the only place that you're finding friendship though. So when connect groups chop and change, you can't always stick with your friends there. It's good to get to know others in that setting. What are the other times you lock into your calendar when you could be spending time with people? Is it a weekly meal? Is it a monthly coffee catch-up? In some previous churches that I was involved in when I had less responsibility and could just hang out and have more fun, uh, I used to really enjoy on Monday nights, uh, a group of us, me and my flatmates and a, a couple of other friends, we'd regularly be at the local pub having the, the $10 steak on a Monday night or the $10 schnitzel. We used to call them a schnitty. Uh, great word, schnitty. Just roll... Anyway, enjoy it. Embrace it. Schnitties. And if you know where I can get a $10 steak or a schnitzel around Auckland, let me know. I haven't found one yet, so I'm a bit devastated. But I used to enjoy Monday nights. That was just in the calendar. Whenever I was free, occasionally there'd be a meeting, but most of the weeks I'd be messaging people going, hey, you coming to the pub tonight? And it was great because it was just so close to Sunday. We'd had about 24 hours to digest what we'd heard at church. We could come together and chat about it and chat about how it had impacted us, what had happened as we went back to work that day. I used to love doing that. What is it for you? What's the time that you'll get into the schedule that you won't waver on? There will be a regular time for you to be with your friends. You need that. And as you think along those lines, the reality is that you can't invest the same amount of time and attention into every relationship that you have. This forces you to make that distinction between acquaintances and friends. And so wisdom may require not just the making of friendships, but in some cases it will require the breaking of them, or at least the loosening of certain ties. So keep an eye out for people who have shown the traces of those good elements of friendship. 
If you've seen a hint of loyalty in someone, respond with your own loyalty. Invest there. The best way to have good friends is to be a good friend. So you be the one that sends the message, that arranges the time to hang out. And if you see them in need, you be the one that offers the help. Now, in saying all this about friendship, the only thing that can empower good friendships is the gospel. Because we're all sinful people and relationships will be messy. We will hurt one another. We will let one another down. But we worship the God who is the friend of tax collectors and sinners. We worship the God who laid down his life for his friends. Now, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, welcome, love having you here. This is the heart of the Christian message. That though you have offended God more than you know, God also loves you more than you know. And God has done what it takes that you could be reconciled to him. God has done what it takes to lay aside your offenses, to lay aside the hurt that you have caused him, to forgive you, that you might return to him as your God. Will you be God's friend or will you keep your distance from him? The decision's yours to make. God wants to be in your life. He wants you to honour him as God and to have life that's lived within the grain of the universe. Return to him tonight. Accept his offer of reconciliation. Friends, we worship the God who is the ultimate friend to us. By his example of forgiveness and by the gift of his spirit, he gives us the power that we might forgive one another, gives us the energy that we might be loyal to one another, just as he is faithful and loyal to us. And with Jesus' example before us, in the midst of all that we've said about good friendship, we need to remember that whatever else we are as friends, because we're Christians, we have to also be the friend to the friendless. So don't turn what you've heard tonight just into an excuse to only hang out with the people that you'd like even if you weren't a Christian. We do things differently because we serve a God who is different and who is loving and who is the father to the fatherless, one who cares for the orphan and the widow. If you've seen someone around church who looks like they're in need of a good friend, be that friend for them. It might not instantly look like you'd naturally get on, but friendship's not just about getting on in the natural things. As you walk side by side in life, as you share experiences together, friendship grows and blossoms. So have that person around for meals, as well as the people who naturally make you laugh, perhaps. So we've seen friendship. Friendship is necessary. It's a necessary part of our human life. So be a good friend, close, constant, candid, and considerate. That's taken the bulk of our time tonight But I do want to look at some extra things about marriage. And I say extra because everything that we've said about friendship is also true about marriage. Marriage is built not just on sexual desire, but on friendship. Your spouse, for those who are married amongst us, can be your best friend. Though they shouldn't be your only friend. They can't handle all of your relational needs. You're a needy person. You have relational needs. And if you try to lump all of that on your spouse, they'll die. I can't handle it. So for those of you who are married, make sure you keep investing in other friends as well. Mutual friends that you share as a couple, individual friends for each of you. But marriage is more than friendship. I think we all get that, right? There's something different between friendship and marriage. Now, I'm not here tonight to defend this definition of marriage. I'll just put it out there as the basic biblical definition of marriage that we've seen down through the centuries of human civilization. Marriage is the lifelong committed union 
of a man and a woman for the purposes of companionship and procreation. That means making babies. (laughs) Companionship and procreation. Now, this union of two opposite-gendered people, uh, it shadows the great reality of Christ and his church as two very different people learn to love one another and bear with one another and forgive one another. It's a friendship between two people who are dissimilar. And added to that friendship is sex. Now, sex is for marriage, not for any other friendship. Make sure we're clear on that. That's actually one of the three key things that Proverbs says about marriage, is that sex is for marriage. It repeats this a lot. We're not going to look at all of it. You would have heard in Proverbs 2, as Hans read that for us earlier, there's a warning there against the flattery of the forbidden woman. Now, as we read through this stuff on uh, marriage, bear in mind that the context for Proverbs, it's written from Solomon to his sons. So it's written primarily to a male audience. It's not saying in these Proverbs that this is only true about women. The underlying principles can match across both genders. So both genders are equally capable of flattery. And when adultery occurs, both genders are equally culpable. So whoever you are, watch out for the power of flattery to seduce you into sex outside of marriage. We love being told that we're wonderful. We love our egos being puffed up. We love the feeling of being wanted and needed. Watch for that. Watch out for the seduction of flattery. But have a look at the positive side of this in Proverbs 5. Proverbs isn't just negative about sex. It's very positive This is one of my favourite parts of what we'll see tonight. Proverbs 5, verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, water flowing from your own well. Should your springs flow in the streets, streams of water in the public squares? They should be for you alone, not for you to share with strangers. Let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful fawn, let her breasts always satisfy you. Be lost in her love forever. Why, my son, would you be infatuated with a forbidden woman or embrace the breast of a stranger? Give you a second to ponder that and wait till the penny drops and you understand what it's talking about. Note that speaking of sex with euphemisms is not a new thing. I'm not sure that I naturally think of a cistern and a fountain, but the imagery works, right? This is talking about not spreading yourself around the town. Keep, keep it to yourself and keep it within marriage. God's wisdom for marriage is simple. Delight yourself in your spouse. And here we see the great news from the scriptures that sex isn't just about procreation. Sex isn't just for making babies. It's a source of delight and joy and pleasure. Now, some of the singles here, you're probably thinking, what's wrong with these married people? Why do they need to be told to enjoy sex? Uh, Well, the reality is it can be difficult in all sorts of ways, for all sorts of reasons. But the wise person makes the effort within their marriage to take pleasure in their spouse, to be lost in their spouse forever. The forever is important because people change over time. Bodies change over time. And as those changes happen in yourself or in your spouse, stay faithful, delight in your spouse. If you're here tonight and you're in the midst of an adulterous relationship, whether that's sex before marriage or you're married and you're sleeping with someone else as well, you're being foolish. 
You can't keep it secret forever, and it's better that you come clean yourself than that you found out by someone else. So stop sinning and be wise. And whether you're single or married, whether you're male or female, stay clear of lust and pornography as well. In many ways, pornography is just as equal to adultery. Jesus will make that equivalence in the New Testament. Have a look at Proverbs 6, verse 24 to 25. Wisdom will protect you from an evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a stranger. Don't lust in your heart for her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyelashes. Now again, eyelashes aren't really my thing, but I get the point that it's trying to make. You could say, before you're in her bed, she's in your head. So married people, is there someone you're thinking about more than you should be? Someone that you're entertaining fantasies with? Someone whose beauty or emotional connection you're appreciating more than your spouse's? Well, you need to stop. The images you fill your mind with actually shape your expectations of beauty. That's why porn is not okay. It's actually harmful. A lot of recent research shows that under 25s, many of you are in that bracket, that a large proportion of under 25s just think the pornography is okay, that it's normal. It's not. It's harmful. The images that fill your mind, they they shape what you expect. They shape your definition of beauty. A growing tide of non-Christians are joining the Christian voice that has been there for years in saying that pornography is harmful and that we should stop the porn industry entirely. You need to let your spouse define beauty for you. They are beauty itself to you. To you, they're to be the most beautiful person in the world. Be lost in their love forever. So there's the first point from Proverbs on marriage. Stay faithful. Stay faithful to your spouse. There's a second quick one. We again, repeated many times throughout Proverbs. And that is that within marriage, don't be quarrelsome. So Proverbs 25 verse 24 Better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. A bunch of other proverbs that say similar things. The issue in this piece of wisdom is about starting fights, starting quarrels all the time. You know that kind of person who makes you feel like you have to walk on eggshells around them all the time? Just anything could tip them over the edge. They're so sensitive about every little issue that you're never quite sure you're doing the right thing. That kind of person doesn't make a good friend. They don't make a good spouse. Avoid marrying someone like that. You're better off living on the corner of a roof or out in the desert or undergoing Chinese water torture. They're the other kind of things that Proverbs points to as better than marrying a person like this. So there's a risk to marriage, but alongside that risk, Proverbs reaffirms what the Bible says elsewhere, that marriage is a good gift of God. Have a look at Proverbs 11 verse 22. Is it 11 or 18? What does it say up there? Next one along. 18 verse 22. A man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favour from the Lord. And 19 verse 14. A house and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a sensible wife is from the Lord. See, marriage is a good gift of God. So stay faithful to your spouse before marriage and during marriage. And don't be quarrelsome. Now, we've covered friendship, we've covered marriage, but what about this in-between bit? How do we go from friendship to marriage? I know some of you want to get married, and that's a good desire. 
It's a good gift from God. Uh, I want to notice at this point that friendship is necessary. Marriage is good. Marriage is not necessary like friendship is. You don't need to get married. Jesus lived a perfectly satisfied, fully human, joyful life around good friends and connected to his heavenly father. You can do that too. There are plenty of examples throughout history of satisfied singles. And if, as you hear that, you struggle to imagine that being the case, you're like, no, surely they hated being a single. If that's you, then there's a good chance you might be idolising marriage, putting too much stock in it, putting too many hopes in it, thinking it'll do everything for you. If that's the case, then you're not in a position to get married. It, It will spoil it. It won't live up to the expectations that you've had. So pray for contentment in your singleness. It's a good prayer, actually, to just pray the double of, God, either give me contentment in singleness or provide me with a good spouse. But if from that place of contentment, you still have a healthy desire for marriage, then we do need some wisdom for this in-between period. How you transition from friendship to marriage. And Proverbs doesn't actually have too much to say on this. The Bible as a whole doesn't give us too much direction on this. Culture at the time was largely arranged marriages. There are a couple of things, though, that we can say. Let's have a look at Proverbs 30, verse 18 to 19. This is my second favourite after that great one that we saw in chapter 5. Three things are beyond me. Four that I can't understand. The way of an eagle in the sky. The way of a snake on a rock. The way of a ship at sea. And the way of a man with a young woman. Now, I could be wrong, but as I ponder this piece of wisdom, I think what he's saying is that for all his wisdom, this proverb writer couldn't figure out the rules of a man and woman in the early stages of romance. He's just like, I I don't understand how it works. It's beyond my understanding. It's like the eagle in the sky. How does it stay up there? And yet in that, there's, there's a mystery to it that has its own beauty. When you see the eagle soaring through the sky, you're like, wow, that's wonderful. And you see the snake moving on the rock, and you're like, this whole thing is muscle. This is craziness. So it is with a young man and a young woman. And I want to say that because there's that mystery, and because the Bible doesn't speak too much into this transition, that is actually something that we can say about this. That it's wrong for us to stick dogmatically to one particular cultural pattern of approaching marriage. And you see this as you go on in the Christian life. You see trends of courtship. So everyone reads, I kiss dating goodbye. And then people realize, no, this is not helpful, and we write a second book. And, and you see the trends come and go, and people stick closely to particular things, and they stay dogmatic, and they go, no, this is the way it's got to be. The Bible doesn't put us there. There's some Christian freedom here. So enjoy the freedom, but there are some principles that we can have as we just engage in male-female friendships uh, across time. So all the stuff that we said about friendship earlier, I want to say that can be true of male-female friendship as well. You don't have to be like the high school kid or maybe it was the primary school kid who just felt nervous around the opposite sex. That was cute for a time. Uh, Not cute anymore. They're real people. You can have a conversation with them. That's okay. Not every conversation that you have with someone of the opposite sex means that you're interested in marrying them. Okay? You can be friends and that's a good thing. Uh, I want to give you some other wisdom based on what I see happening around us at the moment. Um, Something else from Proverbs first. This one's key. 
Build a marriage on friendship, not on sexual attraction. Here's something that Proverbs warns us against. Here's Proverbs 11, verse 22. A beautiful woman who rejects good sense is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. Again, equally as true for men who just buff themselves up but have nothing in their brains. Uh, Just like a gold ring in a pig's snout. In Proverbs 31, verse 30, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. Build a marriage on friendship, not on physical attraction. Uh, Tim Keller has a great book that I highly recommend for any who are single, who are considering marriage. Married couples, it's a good book as well, but because of his context in New York, he is writing with a good eye to singles. Uh, The rate of singleness in New York is skyrocketing, and so he's thought through in his many years of pastoring there how to pastor these people. Uh, Here's what he says in his book. We think of a prospective spouse as primarily a lover or a provider, and if he or she can be a friend on top of that, well, isn't that nice? We should be going at it the other way around. Screen first for friendship. Look for someone who understands you better than you do yourself, who makes you a better person just by being around them, and then explore whether that friendship could become a romance and a marriage. So many people go about their dating starting from the wrong end, and they end up in marriages that aren't really about anything and aren't going anywhere. That's some good wisdom for an experienced pastor. It's worth listening to. Uh, Some other wisdom not from Proverbs, just as I've kind of experienced this in my short years of pastoring. I want to encourage you, this is a big one, a date is not a marriage proposal. Can we just be very clear on that amongst us? Uh, What do I mean by a date? It's also very good to be clear on. If you're arranging a one-on-one hangout with a person of the opposite gender purely for the purpose of getting to know them, that's a date. Just call it what it is. I said before, you can have a good friendship with someone of the opposite gender, but let's be clear on dating. If you're asking them out for a coffee just to chat and to get to know them, you're on a date. But that first date doesn't have to wait until you've decided that you're ready to marry that person. Uh, Avoid all of this excessive pre-dating of, I'm not sure if I really like them or not. Of course you're not. That's what a date's for. Take them on a date and get to know them, and then you'll know if you like them or not. And so... If you're being asked on a first date, don't be stressing, going, oh, I don't know if I want to make... Just go on the first date. (laughs) Enjoy it. If you like it, and if they like it, they might ask you on a second date. And then you can decide, do I say yes or no to that one? If you like that one, they might ask you on a third date. And then just enjoy those first few dates. And after a few, you might get to the point where you go, oh, actually, maybe this is something that would be good to invite our friends into, to invite our family into, and to say, hey... We really like each other and we think there could be something here in heading towards marriage. You're not just dating for fun, you're dating to decide whether or not we could get married. And that leads to a second kind of point, that there are two healthy ends to a dating relationship. We need to recognise that a dating relationship can have a good end either in a marriage or also in a breakup. Breakups are not the worst thing in the world. Now, both of those ends could be unhealthy. If you've conducted your dating relationship in an unhealthy way, if you've crossed physical bounds together, if you've crossed emotional bounds together too quickly, then a breakup will be devastating. A marriage could be devastating as well if your relationship has been unhealthy. But both can be done healthily. If you've done your dating within community, 
if you've had your expectations right, a breakup can be a great resolution to go, hey, actually, great person, but I don't think we should get married. And that's okay. And I say this to all of us as a church because we need to be clear on this as a community. Uh, when someone goes on a first date, let me start even before that. When we see someone talking with someone of the opposite gender, we don't have to assume that they're romantically interested in them. Let's not make that assumption. Uh, when someone goes on a first date, our next question shouldn't be, so when are you going to marry them? Not helpful. And when someone breaks up, we shouldn't think that that's like the worst thing in the world. It could be a good decision that they've come to together and we should applaud them and go, hey, well done. Better that you decided you shouldn't get married than that you married and ended up in a horrible marriage for a lifetime. Because once you're married, well, that's it. It's lifelong. You, you don't get out of it until death comes for one of you and you shouldn't kill the other person. So you're in it <laughs> for life. So we need to hear this as a community and, and foster a good culture of relationship starting. The age that we're all at, this is what's going to be happening amongst us. So a date isn't a marriage proposal. There's two healthy ends to a dating relationship. And like any friendship or marriage, dating's not just about the two of you. You're in a community. Leverage that, use that, enjoy that. Uh, dates don't just have to be the two of you. You can go on double dates and enjoy that together. You can hang out with larger groups of friends and get to know how you relate amongst other people. Uh, we're often a different person when we are just alone with one other than when we're in a group, and it's good to get to know those sides of people. Bring your family in on it. If, if you think that your family loves you, then they'll have some good wisdom for you on who you should be marrying. Embrace the community as you date. There's just some wisdom from my perspective. Not biblical, like I say. There's some biblical stuff there about not pursuing physical attraction solely, but uh, working on a basis of friendship. But there's a lot of freedom for us as Christians. So take it with a grain of salt. That's what I've seen as helpful for where we're currently at. Now, as we wrap up, I want to encourage us that wherever we're up to on our journey with friendship and marriage, no matter how wise we currently are, as we keep growing wiser, Go with the confidence that we already have the best friend we ever could. We already have the best spouse we could ever hope for. His name's Jesus. In John 15, verse 15, Jesus says to his disciples, I don't call you slaves anymore because the slave doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything I heard from my father. Jesus is a real friend to us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, however other many friends you have in this world, Jesus can be your friend. He wants to be. He's the friend of tax collectors and sinners. He is ever faithful, ever honest, ever listening. When you're going through grief, turn to Jesus in prayer. When you've got joy and excitement, return the thanks to him and enjoy it with him. Take time of solitude, walking in prayer with Jesus. Enjoy him as your friend. He's the best friend you could ever have. And he's also our groom. As we read the New Testament, we get this picture that marriage is pointing towards of Christ marrying the church. We all one day will together be the bride of Christ and we'll walk down the aisle and he will be delighted to see us. He'll be delighted and ecstatic to see his bride well-dressed, ready for an eternity of life together with him. So stay faithful to Jesus now, just like you stay faithful within marriage. Don't turn aside from him to worship anything else. He is your spouse. Stay faithful.
So friendship is necessary. Marriage is optional. Be a faithful friend. Be a faithful spouse. And let's together glorify God as we live this out. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your wisdom. We recognize that you've made us to relate to other people and sometimes that's hard. But thank you that you have given us the power to do that by your spirit. Thank you that you've forgiven us that we might forgive others. Thank you that you've been patient with us that we might be patient with others. Help us to keep appreciating all that you've done for us. Help us to appreciate you as our friend to come to you in times of need, to come to you in times of joy, to enjoy experiencing that communion with you. And we long for the day when we'll see you as our groom, when we'll walk down that aisle and see your joy and delight in us, and we look forward to eternity with you. As we wait for that, help us to live out the wisdom that we've heard tonight. Help us to be a community of good friends, close friends, constant friends, candid friends and considerate friends. And keep our marriages strong, that we might have marriages not plagued with adultery, but marriages that display a faithfulness and and are a good signpost towards what you're doing with Christ and the church. So we pray that as we live this out together, people would actually be able to see a difference amongst us as a church, that people would come in and see the love that we have for one another and know that this could only be your love operating within us by your spirit. We pray this, that you would be glorified as you deserve to be in Auckland, across New Zealand, and across this globe. In Jesus' name, amen.